There we are, put you up like that guy. Can you hear me all right? You guys can hear me, can't yeah, you? Yeah, I've got you, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And, and do I sound okay? Do I sound like a million dollars? I'm as good as... Right, I can't eat crisps at the same time, there, can I? All right, oh. Okay. Yeah. Right now, so Ollie, when do you have to rush off? What time's your bedtime? About ten minutes ago. Can we talk to Hannah? Can we just explain to Hannah that this is very important? This this is the first time we've been able to get all three of us together without one of us having a birthday, uh, you know, engagement, yeah. bugs party. Poor, it's my poor parents who had the dog all day at store got her. But anyway, they're fine with her. She's fine. She's definitely not a handful in every way. Mm. She's a nightmare. <laughs> she destroys everything. All the time. They're not, they're not calm dogs. Um, right, let's do this. Should we do this? Trip here's out, Swigger. Maguire Kane! Kroos will go for it and score! It is Kieran Trippier. It is delicious! Harry Kane is England's priceless gem! Well, hello, look who it is. We're back. Hello, it's the Spective Effort Podcast, and we're back due to popular... Du- due to... Di- due to... Di- we're back. We're back. We've had a World Cup, and we're back. I'm Ollie Bayliss, alongside me, Usman Azad and Guy Lambert. How are we doing, boys? <laughs> you should go into children's TV, mate. You are top class. You are, are we all good? Have we all had a good World Cup? We've had a great World Cup. I'm, I'm talking to you now live from Russia. Did you know? <laughs> you are live from Russia. I'm not actually in the room with you. I'm live from Russia. You're not. You're live about 20 miles away in London. Yeah. Not no, particularly far yeah. away. And Usman, I yeah. wish he was live in Russia, but he's not. He's right in front of me. How are you doing, Usman? Yeah, there is no one to separate you and me. There isn't. I'm worried. We This could be fireworks. We usually guys here to pull us apart when we uh, sort of go for blows. It's true. All there is is a couple of expensive monitors and a microphone between the two of us, and they're technically not ours, so let's not break them. Was it a good World Cup because it was a good World Cup, or was it a good World Cup because England did rather well and it was enjoyable from that point of view? I Is it going to go down as a classic? And it's always hard to judge it straight after it's happened. It was certainly entertaining at times. Was it a little bit too European, and did too many of the big teams go out too early? Or do you think it will be judged as a, as a classic. When we look back at it in 20 years' time, will it kind of go down as one of those, you know, like 1990 and, and 98 in my memory? That was a good one as well, wasn't it? Um, is it going to go down like that, or is it kind of going to be one of those where you think, well, yeah, lots of lots of big sides went out and, and France kind of won it, won it in the end without much of, well, without much of a battle in the final. What, what do we think? Well, I think the, uh, the last sta- latter stage of the World Cup, with, there were some fantastic games. There were some amazing games. Um, you know, France, Argentina, Portugal, Uruguay, um, you know, England, you know, there were some great games. And I think that will be remembered. I think, you know, the cagey, we, we, we're used to cagey latter football, tournament football, mm. uh, and we didn't get that. There wasn't very many cagey games. If there were some cagey games, they didn't stay that way. There were there were goals galore. Yeah, we weren't short of some amazing goals. And um, I think it depends how you look at it, really, if from an England fan's perspective, you know, personally, it was just, it was brilliant, but that's just because of the way that it all played out as making it to the semi-finals, thanks to an easier draw, etc., etc. But in terms, and, and actually on the whole grand scale of it, considering all the bad press that Russia were getting before the World Cup, it was probably, it's probably going to be down there as one of the best in terms of hosts as well. Uh, there was none of the racist slant, like, 
racist chanting or anything like that. Uh, everyone was very hospitable, and yeah, I think it will go down as one of the best. I always personally thought 2010 was brilliant in South Africa, but apparently this one seems to have trumped it all. I know, I know, media were in certain areas and there were fan zones and stuff like that, and it's not a fair reflection on the whole country, but. All in all, I do think Russia 2018 is probably going to go down as one of the best World Cups. Not necessarily for the football, but for how hospitable the hosts were. Well, the football was weird, wasn't it? Because it was almost like it was almost like it was a step down from what we're used to in terms of of quality. But that sort of made it more entertaining somehow. There was no one that was truly fantastic. I mean, France won it, and, and they deservedly won it. But it felt like. Lots of the stars weren't necessarily firing on all cylinders. Certainly defensively, it was very, it was woeful. It almost followed mm. suit from sort of the end of the club season, didn't it? The Champions League, where sort of attack just trumped defence and teams just ran through each other and lots and lots of set pieces. No one really knew how to defend with, with VAR. And you sort of, sometimes when you see a, a tactical nil-nil, you sort of think, actually, I'm watching two teams here at the top of their game and that's why it's, it's nil-nil. It was almost the opposite of that. It was sort of fairly comical defending at times and teams just scoring at will and that was reflected in the final as well where you know normally if you play in a world cup final and you concede two goals you expect to lose it but no france were there scoring four it was the highest scoring world cup final since 66 it was a bit of a it was a bit of a weird one teams just sort of forgot how to defend but that was that was quite entertaining and i think finals aside i think you'll you know it's no secret well it's no coincidence that france has won the world cup considering they probably had the best defender Varan playing mm. you know he had a you know, unreal, unbelievable unreal. world cup amiti um made a couple of mistakes here and there but you know with next to Varane, kind of mopped up a lot of those a lot of those blushes and made them look very good so and i think you're, what you're saying is basically right we had the, some woeful defensive performances but the best defense in the end won. Mm. um and what's amazing is um how young they are you know, they've got, we talk about England and the potential they've got, and we'll probably come onto that in a, in a bit, but France were younger on an average scale, and they've got cycles of World Cups to come, and, and, and Kylian Mbappe will be the best player in the world in the next, you know, for the next 10 years. It's this, this is his generation we're coming into. We're going out of the Ronaldos and Messis, um, you know, even the, Neymar, even the Neymars really haven't had, you know, didn't really have that much of a, you know, an influence on this World Cup, and I think you know the Mbappes of this world will, will take us through to the next ten or fifteen years. Mm. Well, sometimes it's it's about the team around you, isn't it? Sometimes for players to make an impact, we've seen that before with Messi and, and Ronaldo, where the team isn't firing, they can't. It is a, it's a team game at the end of the day, and the same with Neymar. Who knows what he would have gone on to do in the semi final and the final, and they'd got there, and you know, Mbappe only really left his mark on the tournament late on. But here's a question for you both: if you if you look at sort of the last couple of decades, the last 20 years of international football, France now, two World Cup wins, one Euros win, and then two other finals as well. So five finals, three World Cup finals in that time, two European Championship finals, and two World Cup titles and one European Championship title. Are they are they the best international team, well, of the, the last 20 years? Is that fair to say? Oh, I knew you were going to throw this question out there. I knew it. It's it's such a tricky one. I mean, I had the realization uh, yesterday that you know Brazil haven't won a World Cup in 16 years, so it'll be 20 years by the time we go to Qatar, and that's Brazil. It's like how time flies. So yeah, you can rule Brazil out of the question completely. So it's basically what between France, Germany, and Spain. Well, it sort of is. I think in the back of your mind going into the tournament, you sort of you, you kind of just feel instinctively like. 
Brazil and Germany are probably the best two international sides, and then Spain are there, and then sort of, you know, France and Argentina are at the level below. But actually, look at what, look at what the French have won through two generations now. Mm. You kind of have to put them on there, don't you? I mean, they they yeah. not won anything when it comes down to, before that since comes, 1980, but they seem to have just revolutionised their game in the last 20 years, and they're getting the rewards for it. Yeah, when it comes down to consistency, I suppose you look at France because they they've also made finals, you know, um, Euro 2004, and then also two years ago as well. They're making Euro finals as well as World Cup finals. Um, but then if you compare it with the best teams, you know, the best team at that time, you know, Spain were unbelievable when they won it in 2010, and when they won the Euros as well, they were just unstoppable. So it's tricky, but that was just that was one four-year period, wasn't it? They won the World Cup, and then two years later. They won the Euros after the World Cup, didn't they? Mm. Um, and they were an unbelievable force then. But then before and after that, they just hadn't really got anywhere. Whereas Germany had been quite consistent. They finished third in 2010 and 2006 and then won it in 2014. So they've got, they're very consistent. They just haven't quite made that big leap. Um, and then I guess, yeah, France have won it since 98. They've won it three times, haven't they? So you have to put them down as probably the best. But then over different periods of time, Spain were... That was one of the best teams I've ever seen play. And then Germany was very consistent at a World Cup until now. Until now. Well, you think about it, because we went from the Brazilian, you know, the Brazilians being the world leaders and their style of football. Then we went to Spain and, they, you know, being the, you know, the tiki-taka. Uh, and then it was Germany with their young, you know, their young academies and their their, their drive and their, their, tech, their technical prowess. France have won it, but they really haven't won it. You know, they've been consistent, you're right, over the last 20 years, but they really haven't won it with a with any sort of style. In the, when they won at the last World Cup, the last one they won, they won with some amazing players. And this one, it didn't feel like there was any any philosophy, some major style to the French player. Just a, it was just some very, very good players. I mean, uh, Didier Deschamps sort of very, in many games, he played very conservatively and very defensively and very... Boring. Uh, well, that might boring. be... Maybe that's the philosophy. Maybe it's the boring football. I mean, the the uh, you know famously, it was the, the Belgian players, Courtois... Uh, sort of saying, you know, I'd rather lose as Belgium than win as France. Mm, that's one way of looking at it. But it, 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 this, it, so France winning it this time, it was probably the least emphatic win for a World Cup I've ever seen in terms of, you know, from the beginning of the group stage to the winning the final. Well, Apart from the final, do we just that was look impressive, back and remember things different? Like, I don't remember Germany other than that Brazil win. You sort of pick out odd games, don't you? And they're the ones you remember. But do we actually... No. Teams don't necessarily always blow everyone away. There's no. only a couple of performances that you kind of pin it on, and they're the ones you remember. And actually, when we look back at it, are we not kind of going to think, actually, they scored four in a World Cup final blowing? That's pretty good. They put four past Argentina. They're not Belgium out as well on the way. Is that not, is that not pretty good? In that Argentina game, they didn't look good for many, much of that game. You know, they look good in the second half, but not, you know, not for the first part. I mean, the Uruguay game was pretty comfortable for France. The Belgium game was. Uh, a bit cagey, and then they got a very lucky header. Well, lucky. One man's lucky is another man's skillful. And then, again, in this game, um, some very good decisions that went for them mm. that they capitalised on. Uh, and then when they had, this, they had the lead, they can then use that lead to then push on. So... I'm with Guy here. I don't. I, I. That's what I'm trying to say. Is you think about those teams, we'll always remember. I'll always remember the Brazil's teams, the French team. Sorry, the Brazil teams, the um, the German teams, the Spanish teams. You know, as being sort of of their era. Uh, I don't know if I'll be remembering the French team, except for they've got such potential. I mean, that that might be the scary thing is they've got so much potential to be 
a lot better. I don't think yeah. that ever. I think for a period of that final that you know when Mbappe, you know, scored the fourth goal, um, they reached that that level. They turned it on a bit, but other than that, they really didn't. They didn't really re- reach you know fifth gear. But I think I think those feelings are kind of generated over more than one tournament. If you take one tournament in isolation, you don't tend to kind of remember a team like that. So the, you know the France of twenty years ago, where you're looking at ninety eight, and then you're looking at the Euros afterwards, or the Brazilian team, you're looking sort of over a, a couple of tournaments. And if France go on to reach more finals in the next six eight years, and, and Mbappe continues to kill teams on the counter attack, you you kind of say this was the start of a period of French success and this was their style. I think it's hard to get a picture of a team over such few games. I mean, credit to them. They beat, they beat the best teams in the tournament on the way there. They knocked out France, Belgium, Uruguay and Croatia. I mean, I think you could have levelled the same. Had England got to the final and snuck themselves a World Cup win, I think you could have probably said, yeah, that's a team that didn't set the world alight and, and blow the tournament open. I'm not quite sure what their style and game plan was. I think that's probably how the rest of the world would have viewed that. I think France had one of the trickier routes there and they did it, credit to them. That's fair. Fair point. Would you think France deserved to win then? Full stop. I, yeah, I, I think they did. They, it wasn't. I mean, there was a controversial moment in the final with that penalty at, at one all, and you know, it's it's like England looking back at that Lampard goal over the line. Did it go over? But at the end of the day, they went on and scored two more. That free kick, however, that Griezmann got that led to that first goal from Mandzukic. That's not a free kick, is it? It's a dive every day, That's a, isn't it? it? He, yeah, he, I think so. He's jumping in, you know, thinking that he's going to get contact. He jumps first, then gets the contact, then falls over. Now that's a dive, isn't it? That's what I thought anyway. I, I think if you're Croatia, I think you, you you're probably thinking you've been hard done by. And I think I think those decisions do matter. I know that they end up winning pretty emphatically four two, but actually. For periods of that game where it really mattered, those goal, those decisions go against them. They're two, mm. they're two one up, and you're kind of like, God, it's like kind yeah. of, it's like a sucker punch. It's like it knocks the wind out of you. Why are we having this debate then? Why, it, we, look, we've been back to it so many times, but why are we having this debate when VAR is there for <laughs> that reason? Yeah, there to remove <laughs> any of this debate and any questioning of the officials. So what? So what do we all think? Because this will go down in history as the VAR World Cup. Rightly or wrongly, it, yes. this was the World Cup where it was first used, and it. It changed the game. I don't think you can deny that the amount of goals from set pieces was largely down to teams realising pretty quickly that you cannot manhandle a striker in the way you used to be able to do. So they weren't getting touched tight. There was a lot more penalties than you normally get and there was a lot more set-piece goals because of that. So it, it certainly changed the game and changed the sport. What, what do we all think of VAR? <laughs> what, it really, what it really shows is, is that teams taken advantage of knowing the VAR and putting pressure on the referee now that that handball in the final is a classic example where the teams knew there's the VAR the referee's missed it and is saying to him you've got to check it you've got to check it you know and really getting around him and then putting the pressure on him to then you know talk to upstairs and, and to go so mm. not only do, is it just that the, the teams are now having to be wary of it now they're also manipulating it for their own uses and saying, well, you know, you've got to check it. The video's there for that reason. So every decision now, every 50-50 decision is being checked and being rechecked. Um, the Griezmann penalty that I'll remember is the one from Australia, mm. the Australia game, the yeah. one that that looked... Uh, I thought at first it was a penalty, then I didn't think it was a penalty. And what's going to happen is, is that you're going to have 50-50 decisions where an referee's going to see it for the first time and say one decision... He's going to get a chance to see it again, and it's going to be the other decision. And so then you're going to have uh, VAR being used, um, you know, to 
you know, will be all, it'll always, or someone will always think it's been used wrong. I think the one th- good thing about VAR is the philosophy. The referee gets the chance to see it again and make a final decision. And I think everyone would think, every football fan would think that the referee should get the best chance to see the, the, the key moment in as many angles as possible with as much mm. time as needed. But the problem is, is that the, the things that they're picking up are things that are so subjective to different people. And that's where the controversy is coming in, is that they're picking up these very, very difficult, tight decisions. I mean, the handball in the, in the final, um, in real speed, you think he can't, you know, he can't possibly, you know, Perisic cannot get his hand out of the way. But actually, when you slow it down, you look at it and you see his hand coming down, you think, oh, in slow-mo, actually, you can see it. So, again, it's very difficult. Now, VIR was coming, well, came in for the Maradona, you know, the hand of gods, or, you know, the Thierry Henry handball into his path. So, you know, that's what VIR was for, is to make sure those howlers, mm. the real howlers, the real ones that really are obviously wrong, that everyone guarantees is wrong. But what's happened is that in this World Cup, it's picked up the ones that are up it on the fence and that's what you're getting at is you know you'll always have that controversy absolutely and officials up until now generally referees are on the side of caution and they're on the side of the defense so if something happens in the penalty area if they're not absolutely sure that a foul's been committed they don't give a penalty and the problem is by having this var system where officials in their ear say oh maybe you might want to have a look at that by the time they've had a look at it and slowed it down they think oh yeah actually it did hit his arm maybe that is a penalty and they're they're going back and you almost get two opportunities to win a penalty as an attacking team. You get the moment where the referee sees it the first time and then you kind of get a slow-mo, another look at it, he's going to look at it again. And more often than not, they decided that it was a penalty once they reviewed it because it would have taken a brave referee in that final. And I don't think it was a penalty. I don't think it was a penalty for one second. And 19 times out of 20, if you say that in the Premier League or the Football League and the Champions League, that's waved away because it's a split second. The ball's heading towards his arm. His arm's not in an unnatural position. It hits his arm. He's got no chance of moving it away, whether he made a slight movement or not. That's not given as a penalty 19 times out of 20. But when a referee's been told to look at it and the whole world gets to see it in slow motion at the same time as the referee, it's a very brave referee to look at that and decide, yeah, I don't think that hit his arm in a deliberate way and to say that isn't a penalty when the world is looking at it and seeing that it hit his arm and he made some sort of movement towards the ball. And that's the problem. We saw it was even worse case in the Iran-Portugal game where there's just no way that is a penalty. There's no way that the player has an opportunity to see the ball for long enough to make a judgment to get his arm out of the way. And yet you slow it down, it hits his arm and referees decide to give a penalty. And that's the reason we had double the amount of penalties in this World Cup as any other World Cup because referees get two opportunities to give a penalty and everything, if you slow it down enough, probably looks like a penalty. Normally, they'd back the defence and they'd back the defender and they'd say, no, it probably wasn't, and they'd wave it away. But they weren't doing that, and it meant that so many games were being decided on penalties. And as football fans, we don't really want games decided on penalties, do, do we? Uh, but, but we want them decided on nice goals, not on a 50-50 decision and a striker tucks it how, away from, from 16 yards. In saying all that, Ollie, I will still say that VIR, as I said before the World Cup, and I think you were the doom and gloom weren't you? You were going to say the VAR was going to ruin... Mm. I think you actually said VAR would ruin this World Cup. There would be a controversial decision that would ruin this World Cup. I still think that it's got a place. And I think uh, there are a few protocol things, and I hate using that word, but there are a few things that can be changed to make it used only in the cases where there are clear and obvious errors. The problem is, is that when you go upstairs... Um, you know, to, to to kind of have that that buffer. There isn't that buffer at the moment. Now the referee, the, the referees in the box are saying, mm, you might want to look at this again. When really they should say, look, it's not obvious. I I can't tell, and we've got to move on with the game. Um, it's got to be kind of like the cricket way, where if there's an obvious 
you know, at the end of the game, the philosophy is in the cricket when they use video technologies, when there's an obvious decision that's gone wrong, you know, then they can change. And if it's 50 50, your first decision stands. I'm still on the fence about it, I'm not going to lie. I think it's, it was interesting to see it at this World Cup, but I'm really not sure still. It, it does, it breaks up the game. It's still not, the chances are still not clear and obvious. I'm, I'm still not convinced by that Australia one against um, France in their, their first game. Mm. Still not convinced. Um, and then in the final, I don't think I'm nearly qualified enough to make a judgment on that because <laughs> I saw it, but it's just so... I don't know. It's just I don't. I don't think I know enough about refereeing to be able to judge that and go. That's clearly a penalty, or that's clearly not. Mm. I really don't know. I really don't know. But it's been interesting to see it. I don't know what the rule is now. Is VAR being implemented in the Premier League from next year or the year not after? Not this season. And then I think they look at it again at the end of uh, the season coming up. I I think it is in the Champions League, but I I might be wrong about that. Um, mm. It I, it wasn't as from my personal point of view. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I just. And I liked it at times. I just think that the guys who are looking at the screen in Moscow or wherever, I think it, it needs to be more clear and obvious. I think they should have looked at that penalty once and thought, that's not clear and obvious, don't worry about it. Wave it. You know, it has to be really like, you know what, this is yeah. a, As opposed to, oh, this is 50-50, maybe have a look. And they clearly sort of went away from that at the end of the group stage, didn't they, where FIFA sat down and thought, actually, this is ruining the flow of the game a little bit. Let's try and not use it. As often. Well, yeah, they barely used it, didn't they? From the round, from the quarterfinals onwards, basically, they didn't really use it. Um, except for, the, except, the odd, for, except the for the moment. final. Yeah, no, yeah, the odd, the odd moment, but they sort of tried to stay away from it because at the end of the day, the referee is on the pitch for a reason. It's just, it just depends. It depends whether it will pick up or not. It was quite exciting, but yeah. only when it was in your own team's favour. You know, the, the referee's got his hand to his ear. They've said, do, do it, and everyone's there. Whoa! Like, yeah, exciting. that's the thing. It does kind of add but, that element of... It's like in cricket, isn't it, where you feel it and you see it. It, does, it adds a different element. I'm not totally sure I'm comfortable with the element, but it, it adds something different, different to the game. What did we all... Just move on a little bit. What did we all think of the three lines then? What did we all think of England and the whole mood around... The summer of, of 2018 and the it's coming home stuff and the performance on the pitch and the stuff off the pitch. What when we look back at it in in a few months time next year going in you know into the Euros in, in in the history books. What how will we judge this tournament from an England point of view? Right, can I go first because mm. I really want to get this off my chest. Oh no, brace yourself, guy. Three points. One, mm. it's coming home. Love it. Really, 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 really annoyed me. As someone who's not... Oh, made, get out. Not someone who's been born in this country, or well, I was born in this country, but didn't live here for 20 years, and hearing that it's coming home, um, it really was annoying, and it was nauseating. Two, England didn't beat a team that they... They, they, sorry, they didn't lose to the team that they expected to lose to. They beat the teams they were going to beat, and they didn't beat teams that they, they couldn't beat, basically. In other words, they played pretty much to the expectations we all had. I don't think anyone's going to say that they they shouldn't have beaten Colombia, Sweden, Tunisia, Panama. You know, they beat those teams. They didn't beat, you know, Belgium and Croatia. Mm. Teams that, you know, that are better than them. Um, and so, you know, it will look good on the history books. It'll always look good and they'll, they'll have a, lot of, a few monkeys off their backs with a penalty shootout win. But actually... In terms of where they're at as an international team, I don't think this has really has actually changed. Will, will actually change where they're at because I still think when they come up against better opposition, and when they come up against better opposition in twenty, you know, as they're bound to do in four years' time, they will be found out in the same sort of way. 
Mm. So I still think they were, uh, you know, as Brit, the Brit, uh, you know, the Brits love the love the three lines and want them, and they, they are looking for an excuse to be positive about England. They're looking, they're desperate for an excuse because they don't want to be negative anymore. I just think it, it's road, it's rose-tinted spectacles. The the English team are overrated from what the press have made them out to be. Um, the only couple of good things I'll say is number one, Gareth Southgate. He's the only positive because he looked at his team, he looked at the, he looked at where they were right and where they weren't right. He came up with a very good pragmatic system that used that England strengths, and in the end, um, you know the, the proofs in the pudding. They got you know they worked on the set pieces where they need to, and they got the goals from there. And from open play, they had less chances from open play than everyone except for Iran. So, I think that speaks for itself, Guy. I think you're going to disagree, but go on. Uh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Let's break this down, alright, we'll break it down, and let's start at the beginning of the timeline, okay? Before we went, we picked the squad, everyone looked at that squad and went, oh jeez, that's the worst squad we've had probably since, what, 1994 when we didn't qualify? So we look at that and we think, okay, so if we get out of the group stage, great, that's that's fine, that's a that's a pretty good World Cup. If we get to quarterfinals, success. We've that's that's a win. That is, if we get to the quarterfinals, that's a fantastic World Cup for England. We made it to the semis. We did have an easy route, but because we had an easy route, I think we the expectation sort of morphed itself a little bit, and we all got a little bit. Carried. We didn't get carried away because I think deep down inside we all knew this is just a great ride. Let's just enjoy it while we're while we're here because you know we're not we we weren't meant to be there in the first place. It's just some people do get carried away thinking, oh yeah, we didn't beat Croatia, so we should have been in that final. It's like before the tournament we were saying quarterfinals is like our final basically, and I think I think. At the end of the day, the World Cup is yeah it, the whole it's coming home thing. I I I got completely swept up in that. But at the same time, it was still light-hearted and jokey. But it's, it, scoring in the last minute against Tunisia and then beating Panama six-one, and you know, getting rid of getting the monkey off our back for penalties. You know, it's just it all falls into that enjoyable category where we everyone really enjoys the World Cup. Yeah, we lost to Croatia. Yeah, we lost to Belgium twice. But at the end of the day, it was a really good World Cup for England I think considering before we had no expectation and yeah you're right Southgate's done a really really good job considering everyone was looking down at him beforehand and thinking well even even I was a year ago I was thinking oh why have we appointed him a year before a World Cup but he's done a really good job he's sort of like a like an older brother to the players and you know, for once I, we, I was cheering corners I don't know about you I was cheering mm. corners I couldn't wait for us to go and take yeah. that corner because chances are we're going to score a goal from it his set pieces he has drilled that team with a fine tooth comb and it's just we were, we were great from set pieces and Kieran Trippier he's the new David Beckham well he's the first person to score from a direct free kick at Major tournament for England since David Beckham, so yeah, he is, mm-hmm. and what a free kick! But yeah, I'm I'm sort of on your side, guy. It was it was a tournament that we never went into with the expectations that we were going to be the best team there. I don't think at any point, even in the the nation getting swept up with the whole it's coming home thing, did anyone really think we're the best team here? <laughs> it was was going to well, I, I think we all thought it it could. I don't think we anyone thought we're going to play France in a final and we're going to blow them away. What we sort of thought was we might just have enough to edge past Croatia and we might, you never know, in a final something weird might happen and we might just nick it somehow. But I don't think anyone thought we're going to, we're going to smash them, we're going to blow them away. But 
you know what? It was fantastic. All we really ask for from a major tournament with England, based on how it's gone in the last ten years and where our expectations were at, was a bit of excitement. Us to win a couple of games, us to have a couple of moments. And you know what? We had three or four real moments to really get excited. That last-minute winning against Tunisia, the record-breaking six goals against Panama, winning a penalty shootout. We scored. We opened the scoring in the semi-final of the World Cup. We were down to the last... We, we were in the tournament four days before it finished. I, I don't think you can really argue with that as an experience. And it was just a fantastic three or four weeks to be an England supporter. Everyone got swept up in it. I think everyone knowingly knew that it wasn't necessarily... If we were to win it, it would have been through a little bit of luck and, and you know, a few things falling away as they had done all through the tournament. And there was that element of, you know, what we might. But everyone was just sort of enjoying the ride and enjoying it. And that's ultimately what It's Coming Home is all about. It's it's about knowing, the, knowing that England that tend to underperform and tend to not really be able to match the best teams, but you never know, it could happen. It's all about the hope, and it's getting excited about the hope and having the opportunity. It's the first World Cup I can remember for, well, it's the first World Cup in my lifetime that England have been involved in the latter stages like that. They were down to the last three and they were in it. The problem the last weekend. Sorry, the problem with this is, is that now at the Euros... Your hopes have been your mm, hopes yeah, have been increased, and actually, if you're looking at it from my perspective, from someone who you know, look, don't get me wrong, I watched all the England games, but I wouldn't say that you know that I'm in, I've got you know an England tattoo, a three lines tattoo on my arm. When you look at it, I think you're going to realize <laughs> you're going to re- you're going to realize that they're not as good as they think. They're not as far ahead as people think no, they are, I agree. and I don't think. You know, and once again, defensive errors against really good teams caught them out, as happened at the last World Cup. You know, Italy got them at the last World Cup with a defensive error. Uruguay got them with the last at the last World Cup with a defensive error. This time, Croatia have got them with a defensive error. With tw- sorry, two defensive errors in one game at this World Cup. And once again, you've got, you know, right, so you can play out the back and it's fantastic that John Stones can play at the back and you look really good. Kieran Trippier looks fantastic. But once you figure out the, the, the weakness of the, the, the you know the five three two, you realise that A England haven't haven't got that great creative play. What's that famous words in that song? Not create not good enough, not created enough? Well exactly, yeah. So they don't have someone in that midfield to drive and you know, maybe with Lalana and Wilshire coming in that will change. But right now they don't have that play. Mm. And then with the, when the defence is tested, you know, you've got a makeshift centre back being mm. called out. So look, I, I I would love to see if I will eat my words that if at the Euros against you know quite frankly better opposition, um, and you know considering that the finals are in are at Wembley that maybe this will kind of give them a, you know give them an urge on, but we'll see how they go and if they've actually kind of improved because they will face better opposition at the yeah. Euros. There will be there won't be well they should face better opposition at the Euros, but you know the chances are we'll, we'll see how they go. Right now all we've learned is is that they're you know. <laughs> they can beat teams that they're better than. And, and, we, and I don't think we've learned anything new from that. And actually, that Tunisia game, they should have drawn that game. And as we were saying at the time, I think we were all sort of looking at watching the game at the time. If they'd drawn that game, that would have been the thing that would have cost them qualification, possibly. Yeah, that was such a pivotal moment, that, that Harry that, Kane. That, that Harry Kane header, at the, that, you know. So, barring that late goal, you've really not, you know, that late goal. And then the, the one in Colombia, the, the, the penalty shoot, which really is a 50-50, as we all know. Actually, I don't think England have done... What they've done is they've done a great PR job, like Russia have done with the World Cup. They've done a fantastic PR job. They've made everyone feel better. But I actually think 
when we look back upon this, and maybe it will be in four years' time, when you were in Qatar and you're getting knocked out at the quarterfinal stage, or the you know you've done worse than you've done at this World Cup, then I think you, I think the uh, the chickens will come home to roost. Yeah, I. Yes, I agree about the PR job, although I, I, I challenge you to watch an England team get to a semi-final and not have the nation get excited and get behind them. I think it was partly just down to no, where they ended up. I but, was, I was ex- No, you're right. I was nervous and I was watching that game. I was watching it, you know, on the TV with another, another England fan who just told me to shut up every time I was talking. And, you know, you get nervous. But it doesn't take back upon... You've got to be objective. Mm. And I think as you two... love you, I love you guys the bits, but you guys aren't objective right now. Oh, no, you've no, still I, got, I, you've I totally, still got, you've totally still agree got, with what you've you still got three... You've got, you know, Stockholm Syndrome. In fact, you've got <laughs> London Syndrome. You've got, you know, you've got the... You know, you're all lovey-dovey, you know, all thinking that they're fantastic. But actually, there are glaring weaknesses oh, no, 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 with no, the I know, team. I know that. I, I love the World Cup. The, the experience of it was fantastic. It was fantastic partly... Yeah. Because of the luck of the draw and the way it fell for England, but it was fantastic. I, I'm not deluding myself. If you look back at it, you look back at it, actually, England took the lead against Tunisia. They couldn't control the game. They conceded an equal and they got a very late winner. We played against Panama. They scored lots of goals in a slightly odd game where actually they didn't actually create that many chances, but somehow scored six. They conceded a goal against Panama. They were rubbish against Belgium. Went into Colombia game without Hamas Rodriguez. Colombia were terrible. They took the lead. They then somehow managed to bottle it and concede a goal and went through on penalties just about. The Sweden performance, that was brilliant. They controlled the game. Sweden weren't very good, but they did all we could ask for there. Then took the lead against Croatia and then slightly fell apart in the second half and had lack of experience and actually at the end of it you think we played seven games in that tournament we lost two against Belgium we lost one against Croatia and Colombia took us to a draw actually the only teams we beat in that tournament were Sweden, Panama and Tunisia with a late winner actually it's three wins against three poor teams in seven hang on so you won three you lost three and we drew one you drew one and won on penalties in that one and against that sort of opposition actually I'd put it to you both that the England team of 2002 would have probably got to a final there the way they played and the way that they were performing that and sorry and i will just say this in case someone pulls me off on this i think the attitude of the england team is much better this is a team that you want to like even me watching them i was like these are these are a decent bunch of boys you know you want them to do well but that's that's different from saying that you know from the actual fact of it which is actually you know what we said pre-tournament our big concerns with the england team were completely and Mm. utterly proven but it was great. Uh, it's just fun. that it, just, it yeah. was it was great. Look, look, you guys remember this because it was you know you guys are young and you know you'll look back upon this with fond fond memories. You're like but... a year older than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm an old. No, but you're right, Usman. Usman, you're right. That is, I, I, you can look at it from so many different angles, but I think really it goes down to how you view the World Cup. What to you makes a good World Cup? Because I got tickets to go to Hyde Park for the Croatia game. I'm glad I didn't because that would have been a sour environment there when England lost to Croatia. But after the, after that game, I wasn't really that disappointed that we didn't make it to the final. Like Compare it to how gutted I was when we lost to Portugal in 2006 and how gutted I was when we lost to Germany in 2010 and how gutted I was that we didn't, well, we didn't even make it out of the group in Brazil even though we weren't expecting to. And then how, how, how ashamed I was after the Iceland defeat. And, you know, you just leave this one. I was thinking, you know, you just feel pride. And, yes, this is a World Cup that I'm going to remember for a long time just because it's such a likeable team 
but also for the first time in my lifetime, we've we won a penalty shootout in the World Cup, and we made it to the semi-final for the first time since 1990. That's 28 years ago. It's something that you've got to cherish, regardless of how well the team play. I think, and there's honestly no better feeling than when. But then I felt when we beat Colombia on penalties, like, no. you you can't you can't compare that feeling. You you never know it's there, but deep down inside, there was always that little thing, that little niggle, just thinking we're going to lose again. We're going to lose again to Colombia on penalties, and like you never realise it until your team gets to that penalty shootout stage, especially with England. Oh, I was saying it's your and just the feeling to actually win one, to actually win one after we've lost what is it five losses since we won one in the one in the Euros in '96. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It was, it was, it was the greatest moment I've had I as a football like sports. I, I was this close to crying, honestly, and it was at that point I was like, "Oh my god, if we win the World Cup, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be crying for like an hour." Like, it's just, it's an amazing how how football can, you know, affect people so much, but it affected the country in such a good way. I mean, you see the mood. Everyone for four weeks during the World Cup was just in buoyant mood, and everyone was happy. Even if England, yeah, if England, you know, squeezed past Colombia, and even when we lost to Belgium uh, in the reserve versus reserves game, you know, everyone was happy because we knew we had Colombia, then Sweden, like to come up. Like, it was. I just really enjoyed this World Cup, and I think I'll probably enjoy it more than Qatar because. We probably won't make it to the semis, but who knows? Four years is a long time. Mm. They're trying to predict teams for 2022. So you can't do that. No, you can't. You, you, you can't do that. We don't even know who. There, there'll be there'll be someone now who's 17 who's going to be our star centre midfielder, like at the age of 21 or something. Because the last World Cup it was going, oh yeah, Luke Shaw, like you know, they're they're the um, they're the big players or whatever. Ross Barkley. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, God, can I pick you up on that? We were wondering, yeah. you know, where are those players at this World Cup? Well, they're not good enough. That's, they're that's, not good enough. that's the problem. Why aren't these shining lights that you identified the, the last few years not here to help England when they desperately needed it? Now, you know, it only took... they're not good enough. Well, then that's... Well, um, so why do you think that in four years' time we're going to find the next great player when the ones that the great players, you know, the great youngsters that we've had this time are going to be... Uh, weren't good enough this time? Well, some of them Harry Kane was on do. the bench, wasn't he, in Rio? Did he, was he even at Rio, Harry Kane? No. No, and there you go, he's our captain. Like It, it changes so much. The, the reason Ross Barkley's not here is because, A, well, I don't, his injuries have been bad, but he's not good enough, okay? And it's the same with like Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw's not good enough. John Stones was good enough. He's made it onto the team. He is now pivoted in our defence. And we're going to have more players that come through, and maybe not in two years' time, but they've already, they're already looking at um, Sancho and all the other youngsters who are coming through, um, Foden as well. You never know how good. Like, I've got. I've got a hunch. Foden's just be- going to become a championship player and just probably get stuck in there. I don't think he's going to make it at the top level. But there will be someone else, or there'll be there'll be another few players in 2022 who we haven't even thought about. But they're already trying to predict who it is. You know, with Sessegnon and all that. Yeah, and you, you can't. You can never predict the trajectory of, of players. Guy, uh, you can't see Usman's face. I can. He desperately wants to talk about the other teams in this World Cup and, and Australia. As, what other teams did you enjoy, and what other performances did? I, I tell you what the team I really started to fall for was Mexico. Mm. Mexico, those sexy Mexicans. They really got me going, especially especially when they took on Germany and they really played them out of their skins. And you you saw I think, you know, tactically what's so great about this World Cup is is for fans like us. And we are that's what we are effectively. We are just big fans with big mouths or maybe some as big, bigger than others but what was great to see on the screen and see tactical see a, a simple tactical plan come into force and everyone everyone in the world can see 
a simple something like that happen in front of your eyes, and the Germans just were too slow to pick up on it. And they're counterattacking that counterattacking fast pace, get the ball and run it up. You know, it was just a brilliant to watch. And I think they were really good. Croatia's heart and their their just their their steel. You know, when they would, I think that how many times were they down in this World Cup, especially in the last few games? They were down at nearly every game at some point. And they still came through. They played an extra 90 minutes more than, you know, France in that last game, which shows how far they pushed. They were great. And at times, they looked bloody good against France. You know, even when they were 2-1. When they were 2-1 down, I still thought they were going to score the equaliser. Mm. Um, so Mexico were really good. Um, Uruguay were quite good as well. I mean, they were unlucky to lose to France. I mean, you know, they just didn't turn up for that for that quarterfinal game. Um, I love the South American. You always just get something with the South American yeah, team, whether do, they're just you. horrendously dirty, whether they're great fans, <laughs> whether, you know, do you know what I mean? Peru, Colombia, Uruguay, they just always add so much excitement. J- I hope when they expand the tournament, they just give 12 places to South American Japan, teams. And Japan. I mean, Japan yeah, nearly yeah, Japan, beat Belgium. Absolutely. Japan nearly beat Belgium. I mean, that those uh, those late goals, I mean, they were 2-1 up, weren't they? They were 2-0 up. They were 2-0 up, and then they lose 3-2, yeah. and that's just... They fly that's, need them. That's, uh, that's heartbreaking. That is really heartbreaking. As much as I didn't like the... Uh, as much as I didn't... I was never really wanting them to win. Russia were just amazing to watch. They were so entertaining. They used to, goals galore in the Russia games. Really enjoyed them. And... Um, uh, Iran as well. Quite enjoyed watching. Well, I enjoyed Iran. Iran and Morocco as well. They were both just <laughs> really unlucky. I quite enjoyed Iran. Yeah, they were both and, really uh, unlucky that they one. were just in that group with Spain and Portugal. Yeah, what was the third one again? Oh, Senegal. I love the African teams. Oh, Senegal. So unlucky, God, they, they were really good. Oh, they were so, they were so unlucky not to make it, on the, but they lost. And what uh, the one rule I really do like out of this World Cup, and I'm not sure if it's been in place before, is the fair play rule. Is when you're when you're tied up in that those last knockout games and you've got more yellow cards. Well, you know that should be an incentive for teams to not dive around. It should be an incentive for teams for not to make those silly get those. And if you had retrospective yellow cards, I think it'd be even better. Um, we are we all going to agree that Belgium were pound for pound the best team at this World Cup? No, they were fun to watch, but no, they were. I they, they, they had just... shades and they had moments, but ultimately they they came up again. They were outplayed. At the end of the day against France. Well, that's a tactical. They they lost the tactical game, but I think pound for pound they were the best team. They beat Brazil. They they came back against Japan. Um, you know they wiped the floor with England. Um, I think you know I think that you know they played the best football. If we're going to give if we're going to give a title or give a championship to the team that played the best football, I think it has to be Belgium. And you look at if they didn't win it this time. I don't know if they're going to win it again. If they're gonna, they may do well at the Euros, but in four years time, a lot of those players are gonna go. Yeah, the, I mean, I, it's I think, very much their sorry, golden go on, generation go gone, guys. Very much their, their, their sort of their generation is now, isn't it, for Belgium? At least from an England point of view, we know that we're always, without sounding too arrogant, always gonna gonna have a decent crop of players. We're always gonna be sort of up there in the top sixteen and make World Cups and and you know be in the mix for having a shout at the knockout stages for Belgium. It's very much sort of now or never. I I, I fear for them. It's the same with Croatia as well. They're, they're generations now, and they, they got as far as they could. But, yeah, that's it now for Croatia, probably for a good 12 years maybe. A couple of World Cups, and then they'll be back as a strong force. But I don't think so. Yeah, in terms of from your question, I mean, 
really the final that should have it should have been France Belgium in the final. Really, um, I think they're the two best teams, both on paper and on the pitch. Um, it would have been a great matchup, but we had that as a semi final. So they've all got star players. They've all got star players. You know, leaps and bounds above everyone else because all the every other team had a flaw. You know, Argentina had no defence, and you know, Uruguay were a good team, but they were on the wrong side of the draw. Uh, if if Belgium were on our side of the draw, uh, England's side, and we were on the other, Belgium would have made the final comfortably. So it swings and roundabouts, but everyone has a generational swing, don't they? You know, like England's is coming through again. Probably by 2026, we'll have a very good side again. Like I got our golden generation we had 10 years ago. But yeah, it's it's swings and roundabouts. But it was a weird World Cup in that. No team played really well. I mean, they never totally played well throughout seven games. But every, I mean, Spain for 70 minutes against Portugal were probably the best team at the tournament. Portugal had moments where they looked absolutely fantastic and unbeatable. Uruguay looked unbeatable at times. Brazil had periods as well. France did, but then they also had times of looking terrible, like against Australia. It was sort of ultimately it was that sort of experience, I think, and, and that experience of, of getting to the big stage before for France that that got them there and, and got their hands on the trophy. Uh, speaking of that Portugal-Spain game, goal the tournament was that Ronaldo's free kick in the 80 whatever minute which to me was just mm. you know the time the pressure the what was riding on that game I think that was the goal of the tournament for the for the moment and everything else I don't disagree with you but oh, I don't know that, that messy one the control was was pretty no. awesome. Remind, remind no. me, uh, and it was uh, the one I could watch again. Was the the Benjamin Pavard, the the French the fullback, sk- just the way yeah. he hits that and the way he moves. The side of the skin. Watch, I could never get bored of watching that. Of one. course, not. Of course, the Fellaini. It was at Fellaini who scored the goal against Japan. Uh, against Japan, <laughs> yeah. the one that was like went from one side of the you know one side of the pitch to the other. Chadley. Chadley, and that was that may have been the best team goal of the tournament. But in terms of, you know, a big player. I mean, you don't like. I know you don't like Ronaldo. You think he's a, you know. I'm sorry, I'm talking to Oli now. I know Oli does not like Oli Bayless does not like Cristiano Ronaldo, who's made a big, big money move to Juventus. Um, but you can't deny it. he's a brilliant player. He, on his it's day, a great free kick. It's yeah, an amazing it free, free kick. kick. An amazing free kick. And it was to seize that moment, wasn't it? Just to go back to the, that free kick. It was. It was that moment. It was. You got one chance. It's here. It's now. The pressure's on you. And he delivered. And, and more often than not, he does. That's why he's one of the greatest players. In the world, and not the greatest. Just to, to wrap things up here, boys, then. So, looking forward to kind of the next couple of World Cups. We've got Qatar, which is going to be a really weird one, a winter one. And then after that, we've got this sort of huge tournament across three countries and basically a whole continent that's going to have 48 teams. Do you think we're ever going to sort of see a World Cup the likes of which we've experienced this summer? I think the trend is going to be for more countries to be involved. I know we had the Asia World Cup, the one in uh, South Korea and Japan. Is that is my, is that my, my memory? Yeah, yeah, two thousand two. Yes, yeah. yeah, so that, and that was, I think we're going to have more of those sort of types of World Cups because countries are just no longer going to be able to make those bids. And I think England's best chance of getting the World Cup is to make a, a pan-European bid, is to to bid with you know a, a few European countries to make a big bid. Um, so I don't think we'll ever have that one country in the focus like South Africa and, and Russia now. We'll ever have that focus. I think Qatar's, if Qatar can make it work, and you know, then that's got potential to be 
well, it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to have people running around the desert, but I think it will be quite an interesting eye-opener. And maybe, you know, maybe there's an argument to be made that the World Cup doesn't have to go to those countries that have had it a dozen times before. So it doesn't have to go to England and France and, you know, countries like that. They need to go to countries that have mm. never had the chance, you know, and never had that football, you know, are not exactly football countries. Now, Qatar has got an opportunity to unlock a whole generation of footballers from the Middle East that's really underdeveloped. You know, um, a World Cup in Australia, in Oceania, you know, Australia and New Zealand might do mm. exactly the same. You know, for football's future, it cannot be, and you were talking about why we've had, you know, European countries in the last little latter stages. Football's future is going to be spreading the game and the joy of the World Cup. And it is joy. You know, no matter what you think, and while you boys have been talking about England with, you know, misty eyes and near tears from Guy... You know, the way you, the reason you talk about it is because the World Cup means something. It means something to every country. It means something to everyone. And I think the only way you can expand that is to go to these countries and or, or you know, go to groups of countries that may not be able to bid by themselves yeah. and, you know, have better bids with, you know, when they team up with bigger regions and yeah. therefore can kind of use that to, to make better bids. So I think... Um, you know, I'm looking for. You know, I know the Qatar one could be an absolute fast, and it could be called off for any day now. But actually, it might be. It might be the most important World Cup we have. I'm cautiously optimistic after Russia and the way that because it, the World Cup isn't necessarily a reflection of that country and that culture. Anyway, it's sort of a, just becomes a World Cup nation for that that tournament. And the way that everything's sort of been able to be swept under the carpet with Russia when FIFA roll into town, it all changes. I'm sure that will for Qatar. I'm sure it will all be hidden and buried. All the the nasty stuff and. Yeah, there'll be articles written will, about it, but they, it'll all be glossy and it'll all be shiny and, and it'll all work. And they will spend the money. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that stops it being stripped of the World Cup is because they've spent so much money so far. FIFA cannot afford to take it off them because they're going to get sued to the pants. And it'll wreak havoc with the domestic calendar. But then, well, I guess then, so be it. Other nations, so the MLS it. goes on over the summer. Yeah. The Finnish league goes on. You know, they have to adjust for the World Cup being in the middle of their season. And you so know I what? It might, who knows? It might, even, it might even be better because you'll have players who are fresh off the World Cup going back into their leagues and being better players for it look how the, the big problem is now you kind of got these people who've got such momentum these players they then get signed up for these big European teams and then they kind of lose that what actually might happen is you might see that transfer window in 2022 that December January transfer window you've got some players with some real momentum who've just come off a really good World Cup you know really killing it for their, their, their new club teams yeah absolutely Guy final word to you Qatar and, and then this sort of three-nation World Cup in, in 2026. You're looking forward to them? Um, yes. I feel I feel like Qatar, it's, it's, it's different. I don't know whether I'm looking forward to it as such, just because I'm still on that England hype. But I think look in terms of looking towards playing in the winter, it could work in our favour because a lot of our players will be really deep into their season and really in form or out of form. But, you know, if, if we've got Harry Kane and he's already, already netted 20 by Christmas, that could, that could definitely help us out of the World Cup. But it's looking onwards as well to 26. I hate the new format, the the 48 team format mm, that they're going to do with groups of three, and it, they're going to have a round of 32. A round of 32. That's the same as these group stages we've had now. But a 48 team, where where t the yeah 48 teams in groups of three, they're going to have like group L and stuff like that, and it's the top two teams from each group go through. So you only lose one team, and then you have a round of 32. Mm. It's, yeah, it gives more teams an opportunity to play, but I'm, I'm really not a fan of that. And then this United bid, yeah, it's been it's it's, it's all right, but the whole Canada will, will be playing for the first time ever. The US are never good enough to get in anyway, unless they host it, which they did uh, what 30 years ago or so, just under 30 years ago. 
And then uh, that's that's horribly that's horrible maths that is, isn't it? Twenty four years ago, and then. Mexico as well, but 80% of the games are happening in the US. So it's almost like, why don't you just, why don't the US just bid for it? The only positive that's coming out of the fact that they won that bid is the fact in 2030, the United Kingdom are looking at doing a United bid, which we would be very likely to win. Mm, absolutely. Well, bring it on, and then finally, football might come home. Let's leave it there, boys. Thank you very much to Guy Lambert in London and Usman Azadu sitting right in front of me with his cheeky grin. And we didn't, we didn't even kill each other today. Not yet. Not yet. Maybe next time, eh? I'm Ollie Bennis. This has been Speculative Effort Podcast. Thank you very much for listening.